Welcome to the Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. Each and every podcast, host Mike Niemer will bring you energy experts to help you better understand the renewable and sustainability space. Education's important to us because it's important to you, the listener. Now, here's Mike Niemer. Welcome to another edition of the Green Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Culver, and with me, as always, is the CEO of eRenewable, Mike Niemer. On today's show, Mike is joined by founder and principal of Publitics, Matt Creighton. But before we dive into their conversation, let's hear from Mike's wife, eRenewable CEO, Ann Niemer. Ann Niemer here, COO of eRenewable. We know today whether you're a public company, private equity, or a privately held company, ESG and sustainability are important to your company. At eRenewable, we can help you achieve some of those goals. If you have any questions or need any assistance with regards to reaching your sustainability goals, please visit us at eRenewable.com to learn more. As always, thank you for listening to The Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. Thanks, Ann. And now here's Mike Niemer with the founder and principal of Publitics, Matt Creighton. Welcome to The Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable. I am Mike Niemer, your host today. and like to welcome onto my show my guest, Matt Creighton, founder and principal of Publitics. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's been my it's my pleasure. You know, our listeners always show up to listen because we try to educate them on something. And today we're bringing a topic that we don't normally bring: politics. How's corporations thinking about things? What's the government thinking about things? Where does everything fall out with regards to world of ESG and everything wrapped around that? So, but before we get started, I'd like to have you because it's first time on the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself and about your company, Publitics. Sure. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so <clears throat> Publitics is a uh, full service, public affairs, public relations, and strategy consulting uh, firm. Uh, we're based out of New Jersey. We have offices uh, now in Philadelphia and Washington, D.C. So um, but so uh, primarily, uh, we, we got our start doing a, a lot of work in the political campaign space and, and still do uh, a number of campaigns. But uh, beyond that, uh, we do uh, work uh, for uh, corporate entities and advocacy groups as well. So, so where we really sit is uh, in in this space where where we help with uh, positioning, uh, branding, and and communicating uh, various issues, uh, and and also responding to crisis in in many situations. So that's uh, that's us in a nutshell. Well, uh, that perfectly fits what we're trying to talk about here today. You know. Uh... There's political risk involved with the clean energy, and they're facing a lot of different battles. Uh, why don't you go over a little bit about what you're seeing with regards to political risk that clean energy is facing in today's market? Sure, absolutely. So uh, we tend to view, uh, just taking a little bit of a 40,000-foot view of, of things right now, is uh, a lot of the issues that we deal with in the corporate space and, and of course, the advocacy advocacy spaces have uh, a, a, some political element to them. So uh, I, I joke uh, that, yes, we do politics, but we also do a lot of political adjacent work as well. Um, and, and if you think about uh, pretty much every... Uh, sort of business or uh, or corporation or or sort of industry that's out there, there is some sort of political element, both either in the in the policy uh, environment uh, piece of the puzzle or uh, the public relations. So the public, uh, sorry, opinion uh, area. So so the way that we think about uh, political risk generally is is that there's this sort of nexus between public opinion. 
um, and then the, the policymaking space, and then and then sort of broader geopolitical risk uh, that that threatens supply chains and, and other sorts of issues like that. So, so we do tend to think uh, about uh, almost everything today has a little bit of a political element to it. So we really try to help people. Uh, navigate those spaces and and uh, try to figure out uh, what what to say uh, and how to position themselves in in, in the strategic landscape, uh, g- given that so many issues tend to become a little controversial. Well, speaking of controversy, ESG, Environmental, Social, and Governance, is somewhat con- controversial uh, depending on who you're talking to, and so I'm sure you've had to kind of navigate those ESG waters. Within not only the corporate but the political side of your clients, would that be correct? That's one hundred percent correct. Yeah. So ESG is this interesting concept uh, in in that um, I think, and you see it in the in the public opinion data. So we've done some polling on on ESG, and uh, right, right around when when certain elements on the on the political spectrum were were coming after after this concept of ESG or. Uh, how how some folks phrased it as uh, uh, woke capitalism, right? Which has which sort of has a negative connotation, right? You say woke uh, anything in in certain circumstances, and and you know that's that kind of puts you into a bad bad spot from from both a political perspective and, and communications perspective. So so what we've seen over the last couple of of months, or really over the last year or so, is that. Uh, big brands, money managers, investors have started to talk about ESG in, in a slightly different way. Uh, and in fact, even uh, shying away somewhat from the term ESG and and moving more into uh, you know specific language around different initiatives that uh, that they're that they're focusing on. So uh, it's it's it is interesting uh, to see how how the shift in opinion has um, has resulted in in uh, sort of a, a bit of a, a a policy challenge, I think, in, in some ways, especially from an investment perspective, uh, there was some movement in Congress to to try to, uh, you know, beat back some some ESG rules uh, that were that were allowed um, through. So, so there are definitely uh, challenges out there uh, tr- translating from sort of the political environment then into into the policy making process at the moment. You know, some of the challenges I'm seeing with some of the big public companies is those that have locations in Europe and also locations in the United States, they have to abide by the Paris Climate Accord while they're in Europe. But then that's kind of also forcing them a little bit to do some of that over here versus their competitor in the United States that might only have a an American company. They don't face those same challenges as ESG because ESG does come with a cost. And how, how are you seeing people navigate the, the want-to and the cost-to? Yeah, I mean that—that's an interesting question of, of, about how how to, and I think there's some open open questions about how to navigate that space. So, um, backing up a little bit from, again, from a public opinion perspective, you see a little bit of a divide in, in how the American public views ESG initiatives. Um, when you break down specific things, there the uh, support increases or decreases in, in certain ways, uh, to, you know, depending upon what demographics. But generally speaking, younger. Americans are more likely to say that they would pay more for a good or service if they knew that that good or service was produced in an ethical way or environmentally friendly way. Um, that support drops off a bit uh, the older you get on on the uh, on on the age scale. Uh, not a ton, especially when you're talking about specific things. But when when it when it's a super abstract con- concept of ESG. You do see support uh, kind of kind of wane, um, especially again in 
in this environment where where folks are are definitely worried about inflation yet yes you know the rate of inflation has come down things are still expensive there's still quite a bit of work to do on that front uh, so people are are especially conscious i think of of those things um of of the expense of of the goods and services that they procure including including in the energy space so um so you know how how are people navigating that i, I think one thing that we're we're seeing and, and we encourage is trying to be as concrete as possible with with what uh with, with how they refer to ESG, specific esg initiatives so making that connection to people's everyday lives that they can understand and wrap their heads around um because like uh you know if you think about it mo most people right that you, you know you turn the light switch on in your house and you don't think too much about where that electricity comes from you just know it gets there somehow right and and of course you understand that there are wires and and telephone poles and things like that and if uh you know a storm takes something down your power is going to go out potentially and so every, everyone sort of has an intuitive knowledge there but beyond the wires that sit outside of your house uh people don't think a whole lot about how how that gets gets to you right so the, so the question is um how do you how do you make the the production of those things or energy efficiency uh, as as concrete as possible for people to understand those concepts so that uh, it's it's not some abstract uh, high minded thing but but something that actually has a lot of practical value to them as well. Well, something you said uh, brought two things to mind. Question number one is as you were talking about the consumer not necessarily paying attention to where the power came from, they just see the lines outside in your polling. Have you ever asked them, uh, consumers, about the types of energy we can get, whether it's nuclear, wind, solar, coal, natural gas? Have you ever in, done any of those type of studies to see what the public has to say? So we do have some some limited data. Um, I can't share too many specifics uh, on on that uh, because it was on some of this was on behalf of a client, uh, a couple of different clients that we've had in, in different places. But uh, but I can share the broad strokes, which is that. Uh, the uh, desire to have different types of energy production is actually quite a mixed bag. So if you're looking at natural gas, um, you know, whether or not to increase or, or reduce uh, the production of natural gas, um, you know, people are pretty split on, on that. Um, whether people, uh, you know, increase or decrease offshore wind, for example. Now I'll, I'll, give one caveat to that is is that um in in New Jersey where where we're based our, our headquarters uh there you know there was a huge issue with offshore offshore wind um and not just in New Jersey but all up and down the eastern seaboard where uh you know that we we had some un unfortunate uh, cases of of whales uh washing up on on the uh on the beach and um you know, certain groups uh seized on on that opportunity to uh go after offshore wind uh, as as uh, a mode of of electricity, so and and uh, so so there was quite a bit of backlash to to that. Even though uh, the, the offshore wind and the survey work being done to to cite those those uh, wind farms offshore had nothing to do with the the whales. That's more sort of climate issues and and uh, you know some of these uh, boat strikes and and other types of things that are taking the whales out. But um, but if you look at the polling on that, uh, the, you know that that messaging. And backlash did actually penetrate in in certain places, especially coastal communities up and down the East Coast, uh, where where opinion of offshore wind specifically has declined a bit. Uh, the um, the sort of positive um, 
positives of offshore wind have have declined a bit. So, so that's sort of an inter- interesting thing to take a look at. Again, where where backlash actually did erode uh, public opinion somewhat, and then um, solar and, and other pieces. Again, it's it's sort of a mixed bag. I think solar out of out of all of the different uh, energy sources tends to be the most popular for the most part. There's some. Uh, there, there are some exceptions to that, you know, if there's something local, uh, some local issue or, or local uh, backlash to solar farm, you might see those numbers come down a bit. But it, but it is actually a little bit of a mixed bag because I don't think people have a good frame of reference for what it would mean to increase or decrease natural gas or increase or decrease nuclear or increase or decrease, um, uh, you know, offshore wind or, or solar. So it, it really is kind of an interesting thing. And people don't seem to think about it all that much. Okay. And the other half of those two points that you said something that I thought of, the other was the energy efficiency concept that you brought up. You know, as I see energy efficiency, people understand that term better because as you say, they can't touch it, right? They understand that. Um, if, If the messaging was more energy efficiency driven than ESG driven, because quite honestly, if somebody's participating in energy efficiency with regards to making everything more energy efficiency, they're achieving a lot of their ESG goals in in all practicality. Don't you think that if the messaging between the two became better, we'd have a little less headache? I think so. Uh, Lee, whenever you take a, a concept like ESG and then break it down into its 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 smaller parts, I, I think it makes a lot of sense, again, to be very specific. So energy efficiency, we can wrap our heads around, right? So ceiling, you know, like even in our own homes, uh, thinking about how, uh, you know, how we we try to achieve greater energy efficiency, right? So we buy appliances that are energy star rated, that are that are a little bit better uh, on, on energy. We uh, perhaps will buy LED light bulbs to uh, reduce energy consumption. We'll insulate better, right? So we'll, you know, pump some insulation into the walls and make sure that our heating and, and cooling bills are not as um, as high as they are. So people like, can understand that because they do that every day. People do that every day. Um, and and it makes sense to people. So when you're talking on, the, on a corporate scale, uh, we are doing energy efficiency work. That makes sense. Like, oh, well, I do that in my house too. That makes a whole lot of sense for you to do it then uh, as as uh, you know, a corporate entity where where we're uh, and and reducing overall energy consumption that makes a whole lot of sense to me. That's that's something that that I have a frame of reference for. Uh, where where some of this other stuff they don't have necessarily, like a carbon uh, carbon offset, for example. Most people have absolutely no idea what 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 that means or or how how that actually reduces uh, carbon uh, you know uh, carbon emissions. So it's it's really an interesting divide there. Well, I know when, uh, as we talked, as I talked previously about um, the the company that's only in the Americas, you know, they don't have to participate in ESG. But when they find out about energy efficiency, because they haven't really done any of them, and they can retrofit their lights and change out their HVAC systems to more updated and what was $100,000 a month energy spend now can be cut down to $80,000 a month. And the cost to do that, it takes 35 months to get your return on investment. On that 36 months, they're now going to save $20,000 a month, 20% savings. That's just free money to the bottom line. The C-suite understands that, and that makes sense to them. When we add in everything that's wrapped around ESG and have that conversation, 
they don't necessarily get that. They think, oh, you're just, it's going to cost us to comply to these, but I don't know if it's really best for us as a company. Is that what you're seeing too? A, a little bit. I think there is actually some recognition among among executives in in, in certain industries and places that um, more broadly, uh, it's it's going to have to go beyond energy efficiency and and some of these more specific things that we do need. Um, broad, bold action on on climate. Uh, otherwise, because it, at the at the end of the day, if we don't have an environment that is habitable, uh, where we're talking about uh, an increased incidence of natural disasters, uh, where we're talking about uh, you know hundred year weather events happening every ten years, you can't really have an economy there, right? So if there's no economy, there's no business, there's no investors, there's no return on investment. So. I think there is a uh, more more of a a, a greater uh, understanding of of that fact and um, and an acceptance that uh, you know corporate entities in in the C suite they need to take a leadership role in in pushing pushing those things forward. Um, what ultimately you don't want to have happen, uh, you know, just from from you know thinking again in in the C suite is you do not want to pursue a, a certain policy or or uh, speak out on a particular issue if you feel like that's going to put you in a bad spot from a policy perspective uh, so that you know if you're going to get hauled in front of Congress and and uh, you know you have your feet held to the fire during during a hearing uh, because you 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 know spoke out on on climate uh, climate issues now I'm not saying that executives shouldn't do that they absolutely should it's just a matter of you know how to frame these things and again making it super super concrete so we do see a little bit of a uh sort of disconnect between we understand that we have to do these things and then how do we implement this how do we message this in a way that that makes sense uh so that we can bring the public along with us as well or some some segments of the public i should say well with that said did your firm go out there and create a roadmap for corporations to show them how to navigate some of these troubled waters we're in with regards to this climate space that that you were talking about? I mean, is that part of what your company does? Absolutely. So we, we, we're I'm a big believer in in data and and really trying to dig into the psychology of of why the public believes what they believe or or what messages penetrate and don't. So that that's sort of where we start uh, in in crafting these roadmaps for for executives. Um, and what I like to say is you always want to give someone like us, a firm like ours, a call prior to you feeling like you need it. Too often we get the call in the middle of the firestorm, and then. You know, we're we're uh, we're in the middle and and you can absolutely navigate those situations. I mean, there there's always a way out. Um, there's always a way to weather the storm, but it's almost always better to prepare ahead of time and and be aware that you could have backlash. So going back to this offshore wind idea or issue in, in uh, New Jersey, um, you know, being prepared with some messaging ahead of time, understanding that there was going to be some backlash. Uh, is is very important uh, ultimately. So so we do help uh, create those those blueprints. Um, and and I, I should say it's not even just on the macro policy level. If you're talking about state level policy or even federal policy, uh, which which both of those things are extraordinarily important. But then you get down to the brass tacks of permitting and rights of way and other issues like that. That is really where you can run into some of these these sort of uh, very very uh, vociferous sort of nimby issues where, where people do not want stuff in their backyard. Uh, I mean, the offshore wind issue, 
by and large is that, right? It's not about the whales as much as it is about, I don't want to see windmills uh, or, or the uh, wind turbines when I look out my window from uh, from my beachfront home. So, the, so there's a little bit of that as well. And again, you're fighting down down to the to the sort of ground level of okay, we're talking about permits in specific municipalities or cities or or counties, uh, and so that that can become very difficult. So, we do try to help uh, develop a, a roadmap, a messaging roadmap, a strategic roadmap where where you're you're trying to uh, at least upfront inoculate against that, uh, develop, um, you know, uh, develop a strategy for public participation, public input, uh, because I always find when you do more of that upfront. Uh, it's it's always better uh, that way you don't get the sort of accusation of oh they're not being transparent they're trying to hide something because um, you hear that all the time right that's that's the easiest go to for opposition to uh, clean energy projects or any really large infrastructure project is oh well they must be hiding something and uh, and things sort of cascade from there um, and and don't even get me started on social media that adds a whole other element to how these sorts of things spread and and what uh, sorts of messages and. Uh, information is sort of incentivized through through those algorithm algorithms and on on social media. But um, but yes, th so that's a long answer to uh, we do help develop these roadmaps. And again, it could be as granular as like how do we get through the permitting process on on uh, this project, or how can we, you know, uh, from from a a consumer perspective, better align our brand with our ESG goals. Well, Matt, my last question is: you guys are located on the uh, East Coast. But do you have clients all the way across the continent, all the way to the West Coast, or are you mainly East Coast focused? That's my first question. We do. We have a, a lot of business on the East Coast, but we work nationwide um, and and uh, have even done some uh, international work. So so uh, Zoom has certainly opened up uh, the possibilities here of of not having to jump on a flight, which is again very helpful for climate. Uh, you know, for for fifteen minute meetings all the way across the country. But we we do work nationwide. Then my last official question is, do you see, uh, is there an overwhelming amount of clients uh, concerned about this coming from one or two states that are head and shoulders above the rest of the United States? Or is it a, is it pretty even and no real one state has a focus versus another? It's a bit, it's a, it's a little ad hoc, I, I think. So it's, it's, again, we usually get the call when something has happened or, or something is brewing. Uh, so it, it depends, um, where, where it pops up and, and every state has its own unique issues when, when it comes to, or, or, and I should, shouldn't even say even states, but we're talking like very, uh, specific localities have their own specific issues when it comes to one, one thing or the other. Again, big infrastructure projects are always kind of tricky. Uh, even even down to the very very local level. I mean, you could be talking to you know the mayor of a town of of uh, you know three thousand people, um, and that can have a huge impact on on your ability to actually get whatever project you want done. So it depends um, very much on uh, local conditions. Um, I mean, there are states out there that uh, have very favorable policy environments toward clean energy, and yet you still run into certain issues uh when you're talking about actually citing some of these these clean energy projects so so that that's a huge problem so you could have uh you know the best sort of clean energy policy in the world best policy environment in the world and uh, again when it comes down to home rule in certain places you end up end up down down a bit of a rabbit hole with that stuff so it really is very ad hoc i, I would say and i know for a fact everywhere permitting is the problem everywhere you go 
and it doesn't even have to be for something uh, outrageous. It's still going to take time to get in. It? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. It's uh, it, and, and it can make or break your project at the end yeah. of the day. You could get everything done. You could have all your incentives in place. You could have whatever it is, funding in place, investment in place. But it, once you get down to the nitty gritty of permitting or, um, you know, I've seen stuff as crazy as like, you, you know, you cannot build an ingress or egress you know, in a particular place, which, which jams up an entire project. I mean, it really is uh, kind of insane in, in certain, uh, certain cases, how, how much power and those things again, come down to local zoning boards sometimes. Yeah. Well, Matt, thank you so much for the work that you and your company does publics much appreciated and much needed. Okay. So keep, keep fighting the fight and help everybody deliver the right message to make the public better understand what we're trying to do when we're fighting the climate change that's going on out there. Matt Creighton, ladies and gentlemen, founder and principal of Publitics. Matt, thank you for joining me on The Green Insider. Thank you, Mike. Thanks again to Matt Creighton for being a part of The Green Insider podcast. And thank you all for listening. I'm your host, Ron Culver, reminding you that if you are not yet a subscriber to The Green Insider podcast, don't hesitate and become one today from wherever you receive your podcasts. And please leave us a five-star rating.